0: Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, Ruth chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 23, Ruth chapter 2, 17 to 23, as you're finding that, just like to ask, as you're, if you are able, that you would stand out of reverence for God's Word as we read it together this morning, as we listen to the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, spoken through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written down for our good from Ruth chapter 2, verse number 17. The word of the Lord says there, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw What she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man whose name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken, forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, as we open your word, we come to you in humble dependence upon your Holy Spirit to take your word and to apply it to our lives. Father, we humbly ask that you would do the work that only you can do through your word. Father, would you give us eyes to see this morning? Father, give us ears to hear from you. Father, would your word encourage us, strengthen us, rebuke us, call us back to you, strengthen us for faithful living. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us from your word. We pray, Father, that we would hear from you in this time. It's the name of Christ our Savior we pray together. Amen. We may be seated. Chapter 2 has recorded for us the events of one single day. Uh, The book as a whole records for us many years Uh, of time, over 10 years of time, but chapter 2 has sort of slowed down and zoomed in to one particular day. In verse 1 to 3 of chapter 2, it's described early in the morning, how Ruth came to Naomi to seek Uh, uh, permission or her blessing to go glean in the fields and then in verse 4 to 16 we saw those amazing events as they unfolded of that wonderful day that transpired when Ruth went to glean in the fields and now in verse 17 to 23 the scene switches back to where it began Ruth and Naomi back home that evening of this one single day. And so this evening account is going to be our text this morning. Now, we have seen continually, have we not, through this book that God is always at work. In the lives of seemingly chaotic events that seemed out of control, God is behind it all bringing about his good will and his Plan. We've seen this dark providence that has come upon Naomi and Ruth, but also now in this chapter, we've seen God's mercy and his grace that has begun to break with blessings over their head. Ruth had gone out to glean, and as we saw, it said she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We saw that earlier in chapter 2. And Boaz showed great grace and kindness to her. Indeed, Ruth had received grace in his eyes. And Boaz allowed her to glean and even cross the line, it seems, from gleaning into harvesting, as we see in this passage before us. And so God had manifested his mercies and grace to Ruth. And as Rick wonderfully showed us last week, we saw God's protection. We saw his provision. And also we saw God's refuge for Ruth and Naomi in these verses. God had been so gracious to them. And in the passage that we're looking at here this morning, we're going to see two main Things in this text. We're going to see, first of all, the evidence of God's grace in verse 17 to 19, and then we're going to see the power of God's grace, the effect of that, as it were, specifically here on the life of Naomi in verse 20 to 23. So we'll begin uh, here with the first part, first point, the evidence of God's grace in verse 17 to 19. Well, again, this day that's recorded for us here is drawing to a close. And verse 17 acts as that kind of transitional statement that uh, is taking us from the work of the day and transitioning us to uh, the evening. So look at verse 17 again. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about a ephah of barley. Ruth worked hard this day, didn't she? She had been working all day long. Gleaning in the fields. And after that day of gleaning, of picking up the edges, of, of cutting through these stalks of wheat, she gathers, she has all of these together. And the text says she beat out what she had gleaned. And so, you know, this means that she had some sort of stick that she would take to smack the stalks so that the grain that was on them would fall down into a basket. And you can just picture, I mean, this wouldn't take 15 minutes. This would take quite some time for her to take these stalks. She beats them and and gets all of this grain. She had been working all day long. And as we just consider her work on this day and how she went about it, I think that we should learn from that that God's sovereignty does not negate human action, right? Ruth didn't think to herself, I know that God is in control. I know that God will provide. I'll just do nothing, right? No, she humbled herself To the task that was before her, which was a daunting one, wasn't it? To randomly go out to a field and try to glean some grain, asking God to bless her efforts. You see, we're called to reject passivity in the Christian life. We're called to work hard to do all of these things while we trust in God to provide for our needs. I think this affects every area of our life. I think it applies from everything to uh, applying to college to personal evangelism, right? Everything in our lives just for us to have a confidence in God and seek to live in obedience to him, trusting him to work, right? Maybe there's that person that we know as an unbeliever that God has brought us around in our relationship with them. And we might be hesitant to share the gospel with them, to put that out there. But I think the scripture as a whole would just push us to have faith in God, be faithful, and trust the results to him because he is at work. And that's what we see just in a practical way in Ruth's life. She got out there and she went after it. And, oh, boy, did the Lord provide for her in this chapter. You read an efa maybe you're like me, you're scratching your head. You say, I, I don't, what is that, a European measurement? I don't know what an efa is, right? Well, it's equivalent to around 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain, 30 to 50 pounds. And this was an unheard of amount for a gleaner to get in one day. Research, some fun reading this week, on a time during this period has shown a good day for a male gleaner in the fields would yield one To two pounds of grain. And Ruth ended the day with 30 or 50 pounds. This much barley would last her and Naomi roughly two weeks or more as they would eat on it. God's grace was being shown to them in a very practical way, showered down them with an abundance of food. And so Ruth begins to leave the field as we see here in this package, uh, passage and she begins to carry her grain back to Naomi. Just wanna pause for a second on there. Just picture this in your mind's eye. Ruth walking home, let's cut, cut, cut in the middle, 40 pounds, 40 pounds of grain that she is walking by by herself as she is walking. I don't know how she made it. Maybe some was under arms, maybe some on her head, tucked in here, tucked in there, wrestling. Maybe it was one big, large sack she's trying to wrestle back Right? I don't know if you, we we uh, uh, bought some. We buy dog food, and the dog food we buy is in 30-pound bags. And I know that when I'm out there buying, that's not for a 9-pound dog, the bigger one that we have now. right? I know that I get a cart to push around that dog food. And just for fun, yesterday in Walmart, I was in the dog food aisle. There's some old Roy there. I looked down, 50-pound bag. I said, perfect. Pulled it out, tried to carry and muscle that around. She's carrying this from the field all the way back, 50 pounds, give or take, that she is walking down. And not only the barley, she has in her hand a little doggy bag from the meal that she had with Boaz earlier that day. Can you imagine her walking back to Bethlehem from the fields? Imagine the people looking at her as she is walking by carrying all of this grain. How blessed! They must have thought she was and I imagine Ruth was just grinning ear to ear as she is walking back. I would have loved to have known her thoughts as she is just walking back from the field that day, going out, asking the Lord to bless her work and here she was later coming with a ton of grain. Oh, how God's grace was so clearly shown to her that day. God's grace was showering down upon her in a very tangible way. God was giving to Ruth and Naomi their daily bread through spectacular way, through ordinary means. Maybe when she got home, I don't know, maybe she kicked the door with whatever she had. Maybe she hollered out in her voice or maybe uh, Naomi saw her coming because it was a sort of a ruckus with her coming back. But we see in verse number 18, and she took it up, that is the grain, and she went into the city, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out to her and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And, and not only from Ruth, but can you imagine Naomi coming out and seeing Ruth coming this, how her face must have just lit up with all of this grain that she is coming? I mean... Maybe Naomi is thinking, my goodness, maybe I should have explained how this gleaning thing goes. I mean, what in the world? Did she go gr- rob a grocery store or something coming back with 30 or 50 pounds of grain? Maybe I didn't inform her that you're just supposed to go around the edges and you're supposed to cut, and you're not supposed to come home with this much. Ruth brought the grain. She had also with her the food, the take out with her in that little bag, and I love how verse 18 just kind of pushes that in our face where it said she had food left over after being satisfied. It's just showing us here God's grace being showered out upon her. She ate her full, and she got to take home the leftovers from it. You just see Boaz's grace, as we'll see later, being shown in this very practical way. But the text is just putting that in front of us saying, look at this blessing that she had. God was marvelously providing for their needs. And so Naomi, we see her response in verse number 19. What's she going to say? Well, verse 19 we see there, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she asked her this kind of redundant question saying, where, where have you gleaned? And what she means by that was who has done this? What person has shown you such kindness? That's why she asked there, she just states out in a here, she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi knows that must have been the case because you certainly don't come home with a bag of grain like that after simply going and reaping. There's no other explanation. Maybe the one I came up with, a robbing a grocery store, maybe that's an explanation, but that's not what she did. She came back with all of this grain because God had given it to her. And Ruth's answer is recorded in this verse and it's kind of interesting as we read her answer as the name Boaz is put way towards the end of the sentence as kind of building up in dramatic fashion where she said so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said the man whose name with whom I work today you see how she's just leading up leading up to it is Boaz and then we see her mother-in-law hears that name probably, probably, it's hard to say, but for the first time in probably over 10 years, she hears this name Boaz and she knew exactly who this was. Naomi knew he was of the clan of Elimelech, belonged to them, the clan of her husband and now Naomi's countenance really begins to change. Now we see a turn in her life in these verses, which brings us to the second main point. We see the power of God's grace in verse 20 and following. God's grace, as evidenced in barley and food and sustenance, was beginning to soften Naomi. You see, when your eyes are open and you begin to see God's grace in your life, that is exactly what What happens? Bitterness and sorrow were giving way to joy and giving way to hope. What she said in verse uh, is recorded for us in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi, all of a sudden now, is calling upon God to bless. She's calling on Yahweh, the covenant keeping God to bless this man Boaz for the Lord to show and to shower his blessings upon him. So now we see her calling out blessings towards other people. We see the countenance upon her changing. And then she states, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And so we ask of this passage right here, whose kindness, who is this referring to? Who's she calling out to here? Whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead? Is is it the kindness of Boaz that she's referring to here, or is it the kindness of the Lord that she is referring to here? Well, Hebrew grammar doesn't answer the question. It could technically be either one. But I think within the context here, Naomi is saying, may Boaz be blessed of the Lord, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is praising God for his kindness. You see that. You see, you remember her earlier in the chapter at the end of chapter number one. Now, Naomi's eyes are open, seeing the grace of God being showered down upon them, and she prays here and gives praise to the kindness of God because he hadn't forsaken them. Naomi is praising the Lord for this kindness, and again, this word kindness, same one that we looked at. Last week in chapter 2, verse number, uh, verse number 13, that Rick expounded on, this is a very important Old Testament word. Sometimes it's translated as steadfast love. Sometimes as love, grace, mercy, kindness. It, it's sort of impossible for one single English word to carry the freight of this one Hebrew word that it can, can carries along. But above all else, this word speaks of God's covenant faithfulness to his people God is steadfast in his love God is faithful in his love his love endures God's love does not change God remains faithful to his children we change our emotions change but God's love is steady and stable and now Naomi's bitterness begins to sort of scatter in the light of God's covenant blessings upon her. God had taken her, two, her husband and her two sons, but God was not done as we've seen with her. Naomi began to see that God's faithful love for them had not stopped. Just like the sun is always shining But when the storm clouds roll in, we cannot see the sun. So also, God's faithful love is always there, even when we have a hard time seeing it because of the storms in front of us. God's faithfulness, I take away from this, was not contingent upon Naomi having it all together. Praise God that his covenant faithfulness to us is not based upon our not ever being bitter towards him. I mean, praise the Lord that it's not contingent upon that. God was going to remain faithful to Naomi even when she was bitter towards him. Naomi said, the Lord of Israel has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who's the living that she is referring to here? Well, it's referring to herself. I think we could say to that also it's referring to Ruth. All of a sudden now she's beginning to see and says, says God's covenant-keeping love has not forsaken me. It's not forsaken me. It's not forsaken the living. You see, God doesn't do that to his children and God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't leave his children out to dry or leave them on a limb. I submit to you, no doubt, sometimes it feels like that. I think that Naomi would confess to that. God's hand oftentimes seems to us like he has abandoned us. It feels that way to us or that he has left us. But look, the reality is God is always ever present at work in this world and in our circumstances God had not forsaken Naomi God had not forsaken Ruth and praise God through Jesus Christ God does not forsake us his love and his promises endure and are faithful even when we are bitter even when we struggle with it if we're mad at the Lord when we go through troubles God's love Remains for us. Praise God for his grace and his steadfast love. Not only to that, but Naomi, uh, the gears are already, already working. You got to watch those mother-in-laws, right? It's already working. She says, and to the dead. So who's she referring to here, to the dead? Well, she's referring here both to her husband, right, and also to the two sons that she had lost. What she's saying already through this phrase is that God had not forsaken their lineage. God was still going to bring about a blessing to them. And it seems here, again, that, God, that, that Naomi had more in mind of Boaz than just providing grain. She's already thinking of something more coming from this relationship. Just for a moment, as we zoom out from the book of Ruth and consider God's steadfast love to us, we see God fulfilling his covenant promise that he would send about a sacrifice, a blessing through Abraham to all of the world. He would send our ultimate prophet, priest, and king through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We, we zoom out from this story for just a moment and we see that God keeps his pro, uh, covenant promises to Abraham to send this blessing to the world. And God sends about Jesus Christ and he sends him to save us from our sin. And when Jesus was instituting communion, he said, this is my blood of the covenant, speaking about the new covenant, this is the blood of, of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. see, in just a few moments, we'll be celebrating this covenant, this supper that Christ has instituted for us, that he died to forgive us, he died in our place. The truth that our deepest need has been met through the death of Jesus Christ, and that is the forgiveness of our sins. You see, and God is a covenant-keeping God. The same God at work in the life of Ruth and Naomi, arranging all that took place in their lives, is the same God that we worship and is at work in our lives. And he will be faithful to keep his promises. Let me just read for just a moment one of my favorite passages in the New Testament that has been such a comfort to me uh, through, through years and years and years is John chapter six here in verse 53 and following where Jesus is speaking uh, about the promises that he gives of coming to him and eating, as it were, his flesh and drinking his blood, as it were, through faith, of trusting in him through faith. Listen to what Christ says. This is the same covenant-keeping God As we see in the Old Testament, as we see in the New. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What beautiful promises our covenant-keeping God gives. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Beautiful words. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever beautiful words from our covenant-keeping God that he speaks to us, that those who are in Christ through faith, as it were, eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood as Jesus is teaching us here, that they will be raised up on the last day, that we abide in him and Christ abides in us, that we live because of Jesus and whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, trusting in those promises that God gives to us will change you. It will change your perspective on this life. Seeing God's grace and promises at work will soften you. It will give us an underlying firm confidence that can only come from God. What a wonderful opportunity, again, we have today to see tangibly, to see, taste, touch the new covenant promises of God given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. As we zoom back in now to the book of Ruth, we come to the last couple of verses in chapter number 2. And at this point in the account and the story, it's quite ironic because Naomi, again, is kind of, uh, again, she thinks to be thinking about more than just groceries being provided. And uh, maybe, even just maybe, this Boaz might be someone whom Ruth might get along with. I know we know the rest of the story. I know you've read the book of Ruth. But just, just the, the way that this unfolds is, is just wonderful for us to see. Ruth seems oblivious to it at this point. Uh, look at verse number 20. And Naomi said to her daughter, excuse me, let's go down to the second part of verse number 20. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And we're gonna come back to this in just a moment, this concept of a redeemer here that she brings up. But pause on that for just a moment. Verse number 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, so now we're back to Ruth. She's saying this man's going to be a redeemer, his kindness. He's not forsaken the living living or the dead. She comes back in verse number 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Right? Ruth's just so excited to tell Naomi all that is going on that she has a job now to go to glean, that she has this opportunity not for just today, but for weeks and weeks ahead. And she's just ecstatic over this point. And so Naomi replies to her, verse number 24, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you'd be assaulted. Right? She's saying, yep, yep, that's good. That's good, you need to do that. Go, go to his field, you might get assaulted in another field, which just tells us more about the context of the situation of her going out to glean. God had shown favor through this man to them. And and we just come back to this point for just a moment of the Redeemer. She speaks about this relative as a redeemer of theirs. Um, um, in the Old Testament, there's five five prescribed actions, technically speaking, of a redeemer. Uh, and the obligations to keep or make in the Old Testament. So I just want to run through these five just real quick for us. So we we do a study on Redeemer in the Old Testament. You studied the law. There's five occurrences that God gave for a Redeemer, five things for him to do. Number one, to ensure that the inherited property of the clan never passes out of the clan. So if a property is going to pass out of the clan, this this man as a redeemer is to ensure that that isn't going to happen. We're going to see something similar to that here in chapter number four. But at this point, there was still the land that they had. They had not sold the land. They had the land. Uh, That is, uh, Naomi had the land. Number two, to buy back family members who had sold themselves as slaves because they were poor. A redeemer, Leviticus 27, would buy them back, redeem them. Uh, numbers 35, uh, interestingly enough, to track down uh, and execute murderers of a near relative was a uh, seen to be as a redeemer. Numbers 35, numbers five to receive restitution money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime was seen to be as a redeemer, and number five to ensure that justice is served in a lawsuit involving relatives jeremiah 50 we see uh there the concept of redeemer and you say well wow thanks for all the commentary on uh, a redeemer what does that have to do with anything well all of that to say at this point none of these concepts really applied in this situation in the case of ruth they hadn't sold their land they had not been sold as slaves remember ruth was a moabite Uh, There's no provision provision in the law for that either, yet Naomi says this man of Boaz is a redeemer. What does she mean by that then? Well, she's using this in a non-technical sense, one that the law did not describe or prescribe. Boaz is not technically instructed from the law to do anything for Ruth. But here's the point. He is a man of grace and he is a man of love. Boaz was a man who had received God's grace in his life, and he was going to extend that grace to Ruth and Naomi. If we could put it in New Testament lingo, freely Boaz had received, and freely he was going to give. One commentator puts it like this, and I quote, there were plenty of loopholes Boaz could have slipped through and absolved himself of any legal responsibility had he so wished. But Boaz was not concerned simply with the obligations of the law. He had a heart that had been touched by God's covenant faithfulness and it overflowed in covenant faithfulness to those around him. You see, Boaz was a man of covenant Faithfulness. He was not obligated by the law to do anything for Ruth or Naomi. And remember the time period too here. Everyone was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. And here we see a picture of a man following after God's law, following after and showing God's faithfulness being shown to him and him showing that to others. We'll see more about this Redeemer in chapter 4. I just want to pause and I bring all that out to say we would do well I think to learn from Boaz and his example in this situation because someone who has received God's covenant faithfulness is necessarily changed in their lives. They are different. The truth of what has happened to them has everything to do with their actions and the way that they interact with others. Boaz saw a foreigner. He saw a lady. Someone in his field, literally there gleaning, and he saw someone who could not look out for themselves. And he sought to minister to her to use the position that God had given to him for the good of others. He had an eye, if we could put it this way, to see the needs of others because God had seen his need. I just ask you today, is that true of you? Are are you aware of others in need around you? I think at this time of harvest, I mean, it's a time of celebration. It's just so easy. Even in the times that are good times, Boaz comes out into the land. He has all these blessings, these food in front of him. He, He could have just been one of those people, tell those gleaners to go somewhere else. Get out of my field Look at this prophet. Look at what all I have before me. This is going to be good for me. No. This man was, who's this? Who is this lady? Ah, She's been faithful to the Lord. She's come here from Moab. She's seeking. He learned about her. He said, hey, let her glean. Not only that, knock off some stacks from the wagon when you see her. Kick those off in front of her. Don't rebuke her. Let her take them. I mean, you just kind of see the type of man that Boaz was here. And I think that we should just learn from that. Somebody that has received God's covenant faithfulness in our lives, that necessarily should change us and our reactions to others. And so we see that in his life. May God help us to see others. To see others who, even in this context, very different than his situation. I mean, very different, not not only a different nationality. Remember this time period of the Old Testament? These are the Moabites. We've already seen uh, that if there's ever a rival, somebody you didn't like, it was the Moabites. This was a Moabite. Not only that, this was a lady. Not only that, this was a widow. I mean, it's just stacked upon stacked upon stack of things there, but his kindness, his eyes saw that and he sought to help. In what ways has God called us likewise to see and to help in the lives of others. Well, this chapter ends kind of on a sort of a cliff. In verse number twenty three, says so. She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So, what we see happening is she continued uh, to work during this harvest, not only of the barley, but again also the wheat. So God was providing for her. She was going out day after day after day, gleaning, gleaning. Uh, I imagine she would be quite buff in her arms, like a lot of you moms that are holding kids all day. That would be her. She's walking with much, much, much grain. This was probably help for them, provision for them, maybe to sell some grain, be able to have some income. So she's being provided for. This is around seven-ish, eight weeks, around two months for this to happen. Uh, and I know during this time, I am sure Naomi continues to have around her mind, yes, go to Boaz's field, go to Boaz's field, go to his field, look at him. This, this is Boaz, right? But then at the end, she's just living, it's over, and she's living with her mother-in-law. And back the two of them are together. And uh, we're going to see some stuff next week in chapter 3, We're going to see a night at the threshing floor. We're all going to blush. It'll be okay. We'll get through it. Uh, But we're going to see, Naomi's going to start, start, start really getting out there, pushing some things. Uh, But it ends kind of on that note. As we step back and consider these verses, I would just submit to you, once again, we see from the truth of Scripture that God is so faithful. He's so loving Towards us. God is loving. God is long suffering in our lives. God has sent us a redeemer through the person and work of Jesus Christ. What more evidence I submit to you of God's grace in our lives do we need other than Christ? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our soul praise God for our covenant keeping redeemer Jesus Christ let's pray together Father we thank you for this account written to us of that day thousands of years ago in a field somewhere around Bethlehem. Father, we thank you for how your faithfulness is once again recounted for us in these verses. Thank you, Father, that we can see that you indeed are a covenant-keeping God. Lord, we praise you, we thank you for that promise that we have seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that by us trusting in Christ, that it would change us. That it would give us an eye to see others. The same grace we've received from you that we would give to others. Father, we pray that you would show us how best to do this in our lives. Pray, Father, if there's someone who is not trusting in this covenant-keeping God here this morning, Lord, that you would draw them to yourselves. They would confess that they are a sinner as your word requires of them. They would acknowledge that they have broken your law and that they would trust in your promises that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, and was raised on the third day victorious. Father, help us all to trust in Christ that we may be forgiven of our sins and to live in obedience to you. It's in the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray, amen.